Welcome to the Words Matter podcast, enhancing patient care through better communication. Welcome to another episode of the Words Matter podcast. I'm Oliver Thompson. So on this episode, I speak with Dr. Giacomo Rossettini. Giacomo is an MSK physiotherapist and researcher from Italy. He completed his PhD in neuroscience in 2018 and has been working as a physiotherapist since 2009, specialising in rehabilitation and musculoskeletal disorders. He's a lecturer of methodology and clinical practice of the cervical spine in the Master's Programme of Rehabilitation of MSK Disorders at Geneva University. And he also lectures at Verona University on the Bachelor's Programme of Manual Therapy and Physiotherapy. In the last couple of years, he's promoted in Italy his excellent course on placebo, nocebo effects and contextual factors in physiotherapy and MSK pain. And Giacomo has a growing track record of research into placebo, nocebo and contextual effects in relation to MSK healthcare practice. And his excellent papers on these topics can be found in the show notes of this episode. So in this episode, we discuss the nature and definitions of placebo, nocebo and contextual effects. We talk about how enriching our clinical rituals can constitute a contextual effect and boost placebo. We talk about avoiding nocebo through unhelpful clinical practice, communication and behaviours. And we also touch on the ethics of utilising contextual factors to enhance the placebo effect. Finally, we discuss the challenge of the lack of contextual factors and the inability to control such factors which has been placed on us through wearing of face masks and conducting appointments via telehealth during this pandemic. So a huge applause to Giacomo for stepping up to the challenge and chatting to me in English. If we were relying on my Italian, the podcast would never have happened and we'd all miss out on the incredibly important information and experience that Giacomo has. And I bring you Dr. Giacomo Rossettini. Giacomo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Oliver, for your invitation. So one of the, the key reasons why I wanted to speak to you is because... The work that you've been doing, the research that you've been doing, is A, so very interesting, but B, so important to clinical practice, and particularly the sorts of projects that I'm involved in, or more specifically, the Words Matter project. And so maybe we can start by you just describing your background, your academic and clinical background. I'm Giacomo Rossettini, and I'm an Italian physiotherapist. During the last 12 years, I've obtained a bachelor's degree in physiotherapy, a master's degree in musculoskeletal rehabilitation, and a master's degree in science rehabilitation, and a couple of years ago, a PhD in neuroscience. For enough of time, I'm working as a physiotherapist specializing in musculoskeletal disorders in my private clinic. For the other half of time, I'm dedicated to teach and to research. As a researcher, my scientific interest concerns the field of musculoskeletal rehabilitation with a special emphasis on placebo, nocebo effects and contextual factors. So I think that uh, who is listening is probably wondering why I and in general a clinician should be interested in placebo, nocebo effects and contextual factors. My interest in this topic represents the end point of my first 12 years journey in the world of musculoskeletal care. During this first phase of my clinical practice, three main questions that have continued to motivate my work were, why does the patient sometimes improve independently of the specificity of my treatment? Why does the patient sometimes get worse even if the evidence-based guidelines has been followed? And why does the patient choose a specific clinician instead of another clinician? At the end, the placebo, nocebo, and the healthcare context provide answers to the personal professional doubts, offering me the opportunity to develop ideas and researches that I want to share with you during this podcast. Thank you so much. They are three incredibly interesting questions. And maybe we can start by just clarifying for, for me, but also for the listeners, some of the differences in terminology, such as placebo, placebo effects, non-specific effects and contextual factors or contextual effects, and maybe how they relate to how, how they're similar and also different. 
Yes, Oliver, we could start from this good point because both in literature and social media there are great confusions about these topics. Historically, placebo has been considered as an inactive, inert, sham or false treatment, lacking in the therapeutic effects, but capable to create an influence of the patient's clinical conditions. Typical example of placebo described in literature have been tables like sugar pills, inert injections like saline, without the pharmacological agents, delivered often in a deceptive way with the aim to please, to comfort patients and to ameliorate their symptoms. Throughout the history of medicine, placebo has been traditionally viewed as a bothersome variables to check in for in clinical trial. Indeed, placebo has been used as a comparator in the control group, aimed to test the efficacy of a new treatment. Accordingly, the final aim of the researcher is to observe the specific and pharmacological value of the therapy. However, actually, the definition of placebo has been updated. Now we can use the terms placebo effects, no specific effects, and contextual effects, representing synonyms used interchangeably in scientific literature. Placebo effects represent complex, distinct psychoneurobiological phenomena, where bio behavioral and neurophysiological changes occur during the interaction between the patient and clinicians, and also the co healthcare context. Placebo effects, from the Latin I shall please, are genuine phenomena produced by the psychosocial context that is capable of positively affecting the patient's brain and therapeutic outcomes such as pain, anxiety, and motor performance. So within this modern definition, the healthcare context is composed by different elements and social cues called contextual factors, such as the future of patient, of the clinician, the patient-clinician relationship, the future of the treatment, and at the end, the healthcare setting futures. So the modern neuroscience has introduced three main elements of novelty in these definitions. As first, there is no one placebo effect, but there are more placebo effects. Indeed, placebo effects has been used as a conceptual models useful to examine the body-mind interaction, exploring different systems, mechanisms, diseases, and therapeutic intervention. For instance, uh, it was useful to study the motor and the pain systems. As a second, placebo effect has been studied from different disciplines, including genetics, psychology, neuroscience, and bioethics. From a theoretical point of view, there are several psychological constructs capable to explain placebo effects. In particular, the two main proposed theories are the expectation and the different types of learning, like associative and social. And as a third point, placebo effects are concrete and real phenomena capable to interact with the brain modulatory systems at a neurochemical level through the release of specific neurotransmitters. For instance, considering pain outcome as a model, the endogenous opioids, the dopamine, the cannabinoids, the oxytocin, and vasopressin are involved in placebo analgesia. In summary, considering the placebo effects are genuine, triggered by different healthcare contexts and capable of impacting the patient brain, as a clinician and as a researcher, it's necessary to add them as a therapeutic tool. That's really that's really helpful. And so we should either add contextual effects, but but some of the some of the effects of contextual factors are negative, right? So nocebic effects. So in, in some cases we should withhold yes. some of those yes. interactions, for example. So, so maybe say something about the helpful effects, so placebo effects and maybe some of the negative nocebic effects of contextual factors. Yes, nocebo effects is the opposite of uh, placebo effect, represent the counterpart of the placebo effect. It's also considered as an evil twin. Nocebo effects, from the Latin I shall harm, are consequences of the negative perception of the ritual and therapeutic act on the patient's brain and mind and body capable to generate unwanted effects or side effects. 
For example, we have to think about the, the possibility to increase pain, to create an aggravation of symptoms, to induce more anxiety in the patient clinical condition. Nocebo effects are also real phenomena. They are capable to influence the brain modulatory system through the release of specific neurotransmitters, such as cholecystokinin, as well as the deactivation of the opioid system and the activation of ticlooxygenase prostaglandins pathways. So, furthermore, recent advances in neuroimaging techniques, such as the fMRI and the positron emission tomography suggest an involvement of specific neural correlates with the, the healthcare context, and in particular with the placebo and nocebo effects. For example, considering pain as a model, nocebo effects and placebo effects are capable to deactivate and activate respectively the 4K brain regions commonly associated with a descending pain processing pathway like the dorsal lateral prefrontal context, the rostral anterior circulate context, the periaqueductal gray, and the dorsal orb of the spine. It is interesting, Oliver, because this central pathway of pain modulation activated by placebo and nocebo effects is the same pathway involved in several therapeutic solutions like manual therapy, therapeutic exercises, acupuncture, injections, commonly applied in musculoskeletal practice. So as a clinician, we have to be aware about placebo and nocebo effects. And do they counteract each other? So are they like a, a green pill and a red pill? And if there's more of one than the other, it mitigates the, the effect of one? Does it, is, it, is it as linear as that? Can, can one offset the effect of the other? So if you take lots of placebo and then more nocebo, and do you see what I mean? Yes, yes. According to my opinion and scientific evidence, when we talk about nocebo effects for a clinical perspective, we should recognize three key points. As first, the use of a negative context is often uncontrolled by clinicians, and it's capable to induce negative outcomes. So, first of all, it's essential to avoid nocebo effects, even before stimulating placebo effects. So, it's important to avoid nocebo effects. This is the first rule. As a second, nocebo effects are very difficult to eradicate once triggered. So the suggestion is first, do not harm. As clinicians, we know how difficult it is to create a therapeutic alliance with our patient and how simple it is to lose a patient. So again, it's important to avoid nocebo effects. Mm -hmm. And as a third, nocebo effects are still scarcely considered as a possible negative variables capable to treat the musculoskeletal outcomes. So it's important to investigate this topic, also consider the potential consequences of nocebo effects in terms of healthcare costs, over-medicalization and poor therapeutic address with the patient. And so thinking about the context, and you wrote a lovely sentence in your recent paper, the 2020, this year, this paper called Context Matters, that was the title of the paper. And I'm just going to read out the sentence that you had and maybe just get yes. your, your thoughts on that. And so you stated that the healthcare context is not a vacuum, but is an enriched relational space created by several elements defined as contextual factors. I think that's a, a lovely sentence. And I want you just to, just to tell us a, a bit more about what that relational space is. And when we're talking about context, what are we talking about? Okay. The first definition of the healthcare context published in the literature dates back to almost to 70 years ago. In 1955, Ballant, in his paper published in Lancet, described the context as the whole atmosphere around the treatment. The context is not a vacuum, but it embodies a healing space composed by internal, external, and relational elements capable of interacting with the patient disease. The internal elements consist of memories, for instance, emotions, expectation, and psychological characteristics of the patient. The external elements include the physical aspect of the therapy, such as the kind of treatment, for instance, a manual therapy, and the place in which the treatment is delivered. 
Relational elements are represented by the social cues that characterize the patient-clinician relationship, such as the verbal information that clinicians give to the patient, the communication style, and the body language. It is interesting because in 2001, de Blasi and colleagues defined this element, the element that composed the healthcare context, as contextual factors. These factors have been grouped from a clinical point of view in five categories. Clinical futures, patient futures, patient-clinician relationship, intervention futures, and at the end, healthcare setting futures. It is important because examples of contextual factors encompass, for example, the patient expectation and preference, the clinician behaviors and beliefs, the verbal suggestions and nonverbal communication, the positive therapeutic encounter, the modality of treatment administration, the marketing futures of the treatment, and finally, the healthcare setting. So, different elements compose the context, and they are inside a specific element called the relational space. Hmm. It's fascinating. And, and in your experience, how much of these are taught to physiotherapy students or musculoskeletal students? To me, it seems like they're often left to the side as being auxiliary or thinking about manual therapy. Manual therapy is often taught to students with very specific mechanisms, both biomechanical or biological mechanisms. But it would seem to me that this relational space by which manual therapy is is delivered is more profound therapeutically than the techniques themselves. Yes, I think that uh, contextual factors are uh, really important in clinical practice, uh, in particular for musculoskeletal care, because historically placebo nocebo effects and contextual factors have been considered as a negative confounding elements. Mm. But from a clinical point of view, they have embodied troublesome and uh, specific variables able to attenuate the therapeutic role of specific musculoskeletal therapies, such as massage, joint mobilization, spinal manipulation, and therapeutic exercises. However, recent studies have suggested a mechanical and neurophysiological mechanism behind the therapeutic strategies adopted by musculoskeletal clinicians. Among the supraspinal mechanisms, the placebo, nocebo effects, and contextual factors have assumed an important top-down role in inducing change in patient symptoms, consequently revaluating their role. As a consequence, contextual factor has become elements that clinicians should adopt in clinical practice. Indeed, contextual factors act independently by the nature of the treatment. Since they represent the context of any healthcare treatment capable to treat their placebo and nocebo effects. Indeed, every therapeutic intervention is formed by two factors a specific active biological component and a contextual psychosocial one. So these elements of the context interact with the specific effect of the therapy by either increasing or decreasing the global effect of the treatment, thus influencing the patient prognosis. Moreover, the contextual factors pervade every healthcare action and directly affect the quality of the health-related outcome, such as pain, disability, patient satisfaction, patient experience, and strength. Since every musculoskeletal treatment determines a specific and a contextual effect, clinicians should manage the contextual factors as boosting elements of any manual therapy to improve placebo effects and avoid detrimental nocebo effects. They should be integrated in musculoskeletal clinical reasoning to increase the number of treatment solutions, boost their efficacy, and improve the quality of the clinicians' decision-making. What we know now is that placebo, nocebo, and contextual factors does not influence the disease, but affects the illness as subjective perception of patient experience. Indeed, they can positively or negatively impact impairments and disability like pain, motor performance, and satisfaction, commonly reported in our patient-presented musculoskeletal disorders. 
Therefore, clinicians should consider contextual factors in the clinical practice and be aware to maximize placebo and to eliminate nocebo because they represent the art component of our musculoskeletal profession. We should aim to use them in the best way. In summary, it's useful to strengthen the therapeutic relationship, the healing rituals, the treatment setting during the clinical encounter, because these contextual factors convey a hidden meaning that is essential for the perception and the interpretation of care, and they must be important as the therapeutic and specific effect of the treatment. And so, because you've done some research, so you did a, a survey, right, of Italian physiotherapists, I think, about their awareness or their knowledge of contextual factors. And so what did you find in, in that study? Is it the case that clinicians are, there's an implicit understanding or knowledge of these things, or they learn them as they, as they go along in their clinical practice? Because often they're not, they don't form part of formal education. You kind of learn them as you, as you develop as a practitioner. What we have observed in our survey is that the knowledge and the awareness of using contextual factors to enhance placebo and avoid nocebo effects is still limited among musculoskeletal physiotherapists. For instance, musculoskeletal clinicians believe in the therapeutic effects of contextual factors for different healthcare conditions, but they use them in an unconscious and unorganized way. So the most used contextual factors reported in our survey are related to the patient-clinician relationship, for instance, verbal communication. Instead, examples of the less used contextual factors are the architecture, environment, design, the uniform. Another interesting finding regards the communication of contextual factors with their patients. Musculoclinical clinicians do not communicate the adoption of contextual factors to their patients. So, it's really, really interesting. Mm. Another interesting point regards the mechanism of action of contextual factors. Only a limited sample of Italian clinicians identify correctly the psychological mechanism of contextual factors, such as the patient expectation and the learning. Taking together, these findings uh, could be related to the limited knowledge of contextual factors, placebo effects, and nocebo effects in academic education. Indeed, the lack of clear education about this professional topic in musculoskeletal university courses could reduce their perceived translational values and their relevance for clinical practice. And did your study look at the awareness or knowledge of the nocebic effects as well? I know it was contextual factors, but did you get a sense that Italian physical therapists were aware that language or behaviors had negative healthcare effects? So in, uh, in our previous survey, we did not investigate the nocebo effects topic. However, we have just submitted another survey concerning the nocebo effects among physiotherapists. In particular, we want to, to understand their point of view about the nocebo-related effects and their possible uh, negative capability to induce uh, a worsening of outcome. Hmm. Interesting. And maybe you, you mentioned communication as a contextual factor, both having placebo and, and nocebic effects. Maybe just say a bit more about how communication or the role that communication plays in creating both helpful therapeutic effects and negative harmful effects. The, the clinical encounter is modulated by different contextual factors, such as uh, the verbal and the nonverbal elements of communication. Now we know that an adequate verbal communication is a, an important element of a good therapeutic relationship. For instance, we know that patients and clinicians spent, uh, in particular clinicians, spent approximately twice the time passed hands-on talking with a patient. So. It's important to know the importance of the communication elements. At the end, the question that arises, uh, how can I use the contextual factors to stimulate placebo effects and to avoid nocebo effects? Mm -hmm. Aim to stimulate the placebo effect, clinicians should positively adopt contextual factors. For instance, using active listening and verbal expression of support and encouragement, humor, empathetic and communicative talk partnership statements. 
<laughs> and request for patient opinion and the language re reciprocity. It could be useful to adopt an empathetic speech pattern and the language mutuality and open-ended and effective questions. Instead, the clinician should avoid the negative contextual factor during their communication with their patients, such as the verbal expression of anxiety, a closed question to obtain information. It's, it is also important to avoid interruption, leaving patients to tell their story. Moreover, patients don't appreciate when clinicians lack the empathy, friendliness, and are too confident or behaved arrogantly. So it's very important to manage in an adequate way the contextual factors. It seems to me if clinicians can refrain from utilizing nocebic effects, if you like, introducing nocebic effects, that's a really good start. Like you said, to do, to do no harm. That's the first thing is to yeah. to be aware of these nocebic effects, whether it's language or behaviors or uh, listening skills, etc., and the nature of the relationship. And anything beyond that is really a bonus, isn't it? In a way, it's a bonus. It, it, you know, I think if all, all we did was just prevent clinicians from, from introducing nocebic effects to their practice, that would be a really good start. And then clinicians can begin to learn to be more strategic about using the contextual factors to initiate placebo effects. But I spoke to David Nolan uh, last week, and David is a UK physiotherapist that's done quite a bit of work on lifting and beliefs around lifting. Um, and he's, he's published some papers looking at the beliefs of physical therapists and how they perceive safe lifting, you know, boxes and stuff. Anyway, what he said, which was quite interesting, is that sometimes with lifting, there's fear amongst clinicians, about amongst physical therapists, that lifting is harmful, it's dangerous. And even if they don't say anything, that's often conveyed, I suppose, in nonverbal cues to patients, and it creates an atmosphere of caution, worry, anxiety. And that is a, maybe a good example of how we can begin to shape the context purely with our behaviors and, and our nonverbal interaction. In my opinion, uh, during the administration of every healthcare treatment, like manual therapy or therapeutic exercises, it's also important to put uh, in attention also on the nonverbal elements of communication. This is important because, for instance, facial expression and eye contact represent important elements in the therapeutic interaction from which patients deduce meaning, influencing pain processing and triggering the placebo and nocebo effects. Mm. So once again, how can elements of nonverbal communication be used to influence the context? This is the question. In clinical context, clinicians could use nonverbal behavior such as the eye contact smiling, caring expression of support and interest. Moreover, they can use affirmative health knowing, touch for word leaning and body orientation to facilitate and involve patients during their therapeutic exercise or treatment. Opposite clinicians should avoid nocebo effects, preventing, for instance, an inquisitive eye contact. A slanting position like a 45 degrees or a 90 degrees toward patient. Asymmetrical arm postures, crossed legs, as well as a backward leaning and the next relaxation. So it's important to put attention both at verbal and also to non-verbal element of communication aimed to avoid the creation of nocebo effects. Mm because these elements of the context are important as the specific element of our treatment. So we don't forget this element. And is there trial data to show that these factors influence outcomes? So what's the current knowledge around how these contextual factors, such as the therapeutic relationship or explanations or communications with patients, do we know to what extent they influence outcomes from back pain or neck pain. Do you, do you have much knowledge of the data there? Well, uh, literature suggests us that uh, when we deliver a treatment to a patient in the uh, intervention group, in the control group, we can uh, 
administer the same treatment but modify the context. For instance, we can create in one group a positive context, in another group a neutral or a negative context. In this way, the same treatment is influenced by different elements of the context. For instance, the verbal communication. What we know now from the medicine, healthcare and physiotherapy study is that the same treatment delivered in different contexts is capable to produce different healthcare outcomes, in particular subjective outcomes like pain, disability, patient experience, and also patient satisfaction. Mm. So it's very interesting because uh, this element could be an interesting uh, um, suggestion for the future researchers aimed to prepare an adequate uh, clinical trial, for instance, in manual therapy or therapeutic exercise. Yeah, that's fascinating. If I can say another thing about the clinical trial, I think that uh, yeah, yeah, I think that in future a future line of research should uh, analyze the mechanism of action of contextual factors in different musculoskeletal diseases, considering both young and old participants, acute and chronic condition, different pain mechanisms such as nociceptive, neuropathic, and central sensitization. Because it's important to create a research study on contextual factors close to the routine and real-world clinical practice in order to implement our knowledge of this element. This research, for instance, could be developed through the comparison of the same manual therapy, for instance, a joint mobilization, performed in a neutral, negative, or positively enriched context to measure the change of the subjective outcomes and objective outcomes too. It's really important because uh, this element could uh, inform us uh, about the, the therapeutic rule of contextual factors. And another important point regard the need, the need to measure also the patient expectation before, during, and after the treatment, and consider also the nocebo effects. I had a question on the ritual of treatment. That's really quite interesting. And maybe just firstly, can you explain what, what is meant by the ritual of treatment? My understanding is that the ritual of treatment in itself constitutes a contextual factor. Yes. Because it relates to expectations. Is that right? So, for example, if a clinician is going through a very systematic examination, for example, or a very deliberate, sophisticated uh, manual therapy intervention, that it's the construction of that interaction, that physical interaction or the technique, whatever it might be, that's the ritual, right? It's about you know, getting yourself ready for the technique or, uh, uh, yeah. So I'm, I guess the question is, what, what, is the, what is a ritual of intervention, if you like? I think that clinicians should manage contextual factors intentionally, aimed at improving the overall patient therapeutic outcomes using and boosting the therapeutic rituals. Yeah. The, the use of the best evidence-based therapies is unquestionable, but clinicians should not forget the rule of these rituals and the contextual factors because the context is always present and is capable to generate placebo and nocebo effects. So it's important to be able to manage. For instance, there are several ways to uh, create a, a, an enriched ritual and different ways to use contextual factors. For instance, when we... Can apply, we can apply wisely contextual factors during different phases of our work. During the history taking, as a clinician, we should assess the patient's previous experience, expectation, and beliefs. This is important because in order to plan a therapeutic intervention, it's important to question about past memories or analgesic and hyperalgesic responses concerning a specific treatment thus reinforcing the positive experiences and evaluating the negative ones. And for example, if a patient had a previous negative experience with a specific treatment, like a manual therapy or therapeutic exercises, clinicians should avoid adopting it. On the contrary, if a patient experienced a positive outcome with a treatment, the use of the, the, the same treatment is recommended in order to activate the patient's positive memory of the, present, the previous treatment. It's important to remember, however, that the treatment should be evidence-based. This is fundamental. Mm. 
Another example to how to manage uh, contextual factors. For instance, in the waiting, in the examination and in therapeutic and follow-up phases, we should enhance the therapeutic and social cues, the awareness of the ongoing procedure. Also consider the healthcare setting in terms of the environment, architecture and interior design. For instance, during the treatment, it's, it's uh, useful to avoid unintentional hidden administration of therapies. Thus, it's crucial to focus the patient attention to all the salient sensory elements presented in the therapeutic arena in order to increase the contextual power of the therapy. We could adopt an overt paradigm that enhances patients' knowledge of being treated, aimed to modulate the therapeutic outcome. It is important to demonstrate and communicate to the patient that the intervention is going to be delivered. For example, we can allow the patient to visualize the treatment, such as a manual therapy or a therapeutic exercise, using a mirror. For instance, we can mobilize the, the cervical spine when the patient watches his neck. This is another example, and maybe another typology of... Uh, um, strategies that we can adopt is uh, regard the messages, the verbal communication. We could boost patient expectation toward a specific therapy aimed at uh, significantly increase the chance of pain relief more than delivering a treatment without uh, an expectation of any benefit. For example, during the same treatment, for instance, uh, uh, a spinal manipulation or immobilization, we can use a positive verbal suggestion like this therapy will help you and it will decrease pain because these strategies can improve musculoskeletal pain. While the adoption of verbal suggestion of, uh, of negativity like this therapy sometimes decreases pain, I'm not sure about the solution of your clinical condition, can aggravate the patient's musculoskeletal condition. So it's important to manage and to play with different contextual factors aimed at improving the patient therapeutic outcomes. Yeah. But also it's important to apply the contextual factors with the best evidence-based treatment. And so there's a couple of things there. One is, so for you, the example that you gave about when you're delivering a manual therapy treatment and you can say something like this this technique or this treatment will help your pain settle or increase your movement, whatever it might be. That's one thing. However, we can go even further in terms of detail and start to point to specific structures, joints, tissues, vertebral movement, symmetry. We, we can go even, even more detailed. But then t what it would seem to me is that we start to, to step into the realm of of language which is perhaps unhelpful, overly structural, and it would begin to, to my, my sense, it begin to create perceptions about the body in patients which is which is unhelpful. So it seems that there's, there might be a, that providing information which is salient to the patient around the treatment is helpful, but there'll be a tipping point when too much information might be unhelpful or a certain type of information might be unhelpful. Yes, this is a general idea about uh, how to use a con a specific contextual factors like verbal communication. However, we have to, wh when we decide to deliver a specific treatment in our patient, we have to wait how the how contextual factor, how much contextual factor we can offer to our patient, because there is a risk to exceed his uh, capability to accept information, for instance. Mm -hmm. We have to play with our patient in the different therapeutic session. And uh, in every step, we have to decide how we can uh, apply these contextual factors. For instance, I can use different uh, elements of the, the context, like as uh, um, verbal communication, healthcare setting, not in a single therapeutic treatment session, but I can mm -hmm split this element in the different uh, session, aim at uh, uh, prepare the patient for the best evidence-based treatment. Um, what about the ethics of utilizing contextual factors? So, as you said, patient expectation is a, is a strong contextual factor. And again, a bit like the example of the language, 
starting to build unrealistic expectations might be a potential risk. And, you know, someone that has sciatica, for example, or neuropathic pain into the leg, you know, the prognosis is variable and, and can take a long time to recover. In the instance of saying to patients, you'll be fine after four treatments, don't worry, you'll recover really quickly, you know, wanting to build a kind of healthy, optimistic expectation, it's, as you said, it's about weighing up um, or, or rather getting that balance right, I think. Yes, uh, we have to remember that we are healthcare professionals, so it's necessary to offer the best evidence-based treatment and the best evidence-based information to our patient. So if the patient comes to my clinic and correct the beliefs and expectation, it's important to investigate these expectations and these beliefs, aim at correcting if it is wrong. Because it's a fundamental element, because through this education, we can create the better therapeutic space, the better healing space capable to improve the patient therapeutic outcomes. So we have to check the patient expectation, the patient point of view. And if it, if it is wrong, we have to modify. I've got a few questions. The first thing is the, is the ritual of therapeutic interaction. And rituals, at least to me, seem to speak to tradition and behaviours and actions which are embedded in societal or professional norms. So, for example, I could have a ritual which would spend a lot of time examining the position of someone's sacrum within their pelvis and be very deliberate about palpating the pelvis, the sacroiliac joint, looking for symmetry. So it'd be a very strong ritual, but I wonder how helpful that would be in terms of creating positive perceptions around the patient's body. Or, and I guess that the risk of, of introducing nocebic uh, ideas. So I think that the, it's important to deliver the best evidence-based treatment. So if we decide to perform an assessment of the cervical spine, the thoracic spine, lumbar spine of the pelvis, it's important to boost our healthcare rituals of examination. For example, palpation, mm. uh, active range of motion assessment, passive range of motion assessment. But uh, we have to recognize that uh, these elements are and should be inserted in the evidence-based healthcare treatment. So mm. we have to recognize if we are the part of the problem or part of the solution. We have to help our patient, mm. but uh, we don't uh, um, give to the patient the idea that uh, we fix the problem. We help the patient to find mm. the better solution, the better strategy to optimize his clinical solution. Okay? We can perform a manual treatment aimed to reduce pain, to improve his self-efficacy. But after this, it's important to uh, put also a therapeutic exercises that is capable to create a long-term effects because we should avoid uh, an addiction with a clinician. Yeah. And you've done some work on patient satisfaction. Yes. Because that's quite interesting to me because... Patients may well be satisfied, but actually looking at pain scores or disability scores, they don't change. So, so I just wonder, firstly, maybe just explain to us what we mean by patient satisfaction in the context of healthcare. And also as clinicians, how, how focused should we be on satisfying the patients? So patient satisfaction in musculoskeletal care is a multidimensional phenomenon where both clinical outcomes and contextual factors interact together and influence its manifestation. As a consequence, improving only the clinical outcome, for instance, improve the range of motion, the pain, the disability, the strength, or meeting a singular contextual factor, such as transforming features of the healthcare setting are both useful but not sufficient to fully affect the patient's satisfaction. Thus, the outcome of each therapeutic intervention is linked to the inter interdependence among the different determinants of patient satisfaction. What we know in clinics is that the 
Contextual factors helps clinicians to understand and to interpret the patient's clinical pictures and to reveal the conundrum underlying complaints, thus explaining some unexpected outcomes and variability of patient symptoms in terms of placebo nocebo effects and also in terms of patient satisfaction. However, not all the improvement or aggravation of patient symptoms is due to placebo nocebo effects and contextual factors. Clinically, it's necessary to rule out the patient modification created by placebo nocebo effects from the changes of outcome related to other confounding elements. These elements which could create a misinterpretation of the patient clinical pictures are, for instance, the spontaneous remission of the disease and symptoms fluctuation, also called natural history, the regression to the mean, the patient and clinician bias during the reports of clinical condition, and, uh, for instance, other unknown effects of concomitant co-interventions such as drugs and injections. Despite the fact that the patient receiving ineffective care could still be very satisfied, it's important to remember again that clinicians should offer the best evidence-based therapy for musculoskeletal disorders, along with the positive context. I think what some clinicians will hear when they when they hear that patient satisfaction is is important and predictive of outcome is that the patient gets whatever they want. So if they want lots of manual therapy or they want needles or they want taping or so 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 there'll be some judgment that will be used by the clinician. Yeah, it's important to remember that despite placebo effects and contextual factors are real and powerful phenomena, it must be clear that the use of not be a substitute for uh, other more effective treatments. So it's not right to uh, please uh, all the time in all the way the patient. We are healthcare providers that we apply evidence-based treatment. So we have to offer to our patient the best evidence-based therapy. And can you explain, I think as I said before, that there are some patients or many patients who are highly satisfied with their care but yet they're receiving ineffective treatments. So what's, what's that about? Probably these patients uh, improved their clinical condition because they are uh, influenced by uh, the healing rituals of the clinicians, by the healthcare contest. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, they did not receive a, a therapeutic solution composed by a mm-hmm. specific uh, agents or by a specific mechanism. It's always context, but uh, it's not enough. It's important, but it's not enough because we have we are healthcare professional. It's not correct to offer all the treatment uh, that we know or you, the use of contextual factors uh, is not recommended to, uh, as a substitution of the best evidence-based therapy, but it's only a, an enrichment strategy to offer the best evidence-based treatment. Because in, in other ways, if we, if we offer a not evidence-based treatment, we are not healthcare providers. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. And so really the, the use of contextual factors looks to support or enhance existing evidence-based treatments. I think that's what you're saying. But in some cases, the treatment or rather the, the effectiveness of the treatment is predominantly down to contextual factors. So I'm thinking about manual therapy where the use of touch and you know, physical interaction during manual therapy, a lot, you know, I don't know how much of it is context, but it would seem to me that the biomechanical mechanisms don't seem to hold up to, to scrutiny compared to some of the, the psychosocial mechanisms. Is that, is that fair? So, so, so that the, man, the manual therapy in itself is... If there was no context in manual therapy, it would be an ineffective treatment pretty much, right? It relies on the context. This is a very good point, Oliver, because uh, it opens and offers us the opportunity to discuss about the, um, the, the possibility to create an adequate placebo control in uh, manual therapy clinical trials. Because there are really different and several problems about this topic. Because uh, throughout the question, the history of musculoskeletal um, physical therapy and rehabilitation, placebo effect has been considered as a problematic phenomenon and debated worldwide by researchers and clinicians. 
from a research point of view, placebo effect have represented confounding factors capable of limiting external validity of the study and reducing the internal validity of the findings. For instance, in manual therapy, for many years, the researchers have, have been obsessed by the identification of the best placebo comparator for different manual therapy treatments. Various studies try to develop and validate the sham placebo procedure, such as the sham spinal manipulation, sham joint mobilization. However, many complications challenge this research. Indeed, one of the major problems is to conceptualize the placebo control as inactive, inert or false. Actually, it's not adequate. Despite the lack of a specific therapeutic action, placebo control can elicit a real psychobiological effect. So another problem regarding the design and the administration of a placebo control in a randomized control trial offered in manual therapy. Because it's more complex than the administration of a placebo control in a randomized control trial assessing drug efficacy. In medicine, for instance, you can give to experimental and control placebo groups respectively the same capsule with or without the pharmacological agents. However, in both the situations, the capsules are similar, same color, same form, same dimension. The only variable that differs is the pharmacological agent. It is more simple to balance both the groups. Instead, in manual therapy, it's not possible. The things are more complex because specific and contextual factors, elements of the treatment are intimately encapsulated each other and they are interacting each other. Thus, it's difficult to separate elements such as the verbal instruction and education, the patient therapist contact, as well as the patient action provided by the therapist on the patient and the sensory feedback. And another problem is related to the discretional choose of the placebo control. In literature, there are an heterogeneous typologies of placebo control in manual therapy, such as hands-on techniques like light touch, gentle touch, or physical modalities like uh, an ultrasound, a laser, a diatomy, or a mix of procedures. So taking together, this element contributes to the confusion on the topping with increased risk of bias because the problem is to the possibility to overestimate or underestimate the difference between the treatment and the placebo condition. And at the end, there is the risk to reducing the possibility to highlight, to observe the real weight of our specific intervention. So the, the, the question and the topping is not uh, resolved. However, I repeat, in my, in my opinion, I think that uh, uh, as a researcher, we have to um, change our, we have uh, to ask ourselves uh, if the question investigated so far are right or it's necessary to change the question, uh, to focus, to shift our focus uh, toward another scientific interest, such as the contextual factors, aim at offer clinical relevant information and translatable and the important findings. So I think that the future and the important future line of research regard the contextual factors and the placebo effect and nocebo effect. We don't uh, stop to search uh, and to identify the best placebo comparator, but we have to work another line of research aim at uh, uh, highlight and uh, observe the real weight of our uh, therapeutic treatment and in particular the weight of the contextual factors uh, component of our treatment. And then I think, as you said before, is that once once someone acknowledges that contextual factors are really crucial elements of the therapeutic interaction and subsequent outcome, then the training of clinicians needs to skill clinicians to be able to manipulate, if that's the right word, or strategically utilize these factors. So things like listening skills or communication skills or kind of relational skills, these, these other skills become much more important, whereas traditionally within musculoskeletal practice, it's been the technical skills which have been prioritized. Yes, 
If we want to implement an aware use of contextual factors in our clinical practice, the understanding of how contextual factor work has a capital importance. So at undergraduate and postgraduate levels, students and clinicians should be educated in recognizing contextual factors and appropriately manage them, aim at maximizing placebo effects, stimulating contextual factors, and avoid nocebo effects. So from an academic perspective, the awareness and the practice of contextual factors like the patient-clinician relationship, like the verbal communication, the verbal communication should be strengthening in the teaching program and activities during the university training in order to prepare the student for a better management of the psychosocial component of a disease during their internship and for their future clinical practice. Because... Uh, Contextual factor could help students, could help clinicians to consider that the therapeutic outcome is a product of the interaction between clinicians, the patient, and the healthcare context. And it's really complex. It's not predictable and non-linear system that evolves over time. Moreover, contextual factor could be used as a strategy capable to improve the student's clinical reasoning performance during different uh, evaluation and assessment, but also it's important for the clinicians because if they were educated about the topic, they are capable to apply the topic, the knowledge in their clinical practice. So, Jackham, if you're going to give three tips to people listening, you know, three kind of strategies or tips that you could give therapists to implement in their practice tomorrow in regards to utilizing contextual effects or shaping context, what would they be? Yes, the first could be check and assess patient expectation, beliefs and point of view about the therapy, the musculoskeletal disorder and the and desired therapeutic outcomes. This is the first tips. The second tips is to put attention on the rituals of our rituals that is always presented during the therapeutic administration. For instance, when we prepare a therapeutic exercises, when we administer a joint mobilization and spinal manipulation, we have to be aware to adapt correctly the verbal communication and the nonverbal elements of communication. And the third element, in my opinion, one of the most important is to avoid nocebo effects. Please don't stimulate nocebo effects in our patient. Don't use negative words like uh, hernia, like uh, your spine is a disaster, I'm fixing your pelvis. Please, we are part of the solution, not part of the problem. So don't stimulate nocebo effects. Yeah. And, and, and I asked Maxi this question, and I'm finding it myself when I wear the mask now. It definitely changes that interaction. I'm unable to, to express or to visually express emotions, reassurance, happiness, all that kind of stuff. And this is a great lack of contextual factors because uh, <laughs> uh, we, we can uh, erase, we can block the therapeutic interaction. I don't know if you are smiling. I don't know uh, if you are sad yeah. with a mask. And the, another important problem during this time of COVID pandemic is the use of telerehabilitation. Yeah. Yeah. If we prepare a telerehabilitation section, I can manage only few contextual yeah. factors. Because we are not in my therapeutic clinic. We are in my kitchen. You are in your house. There is not the healthcare context that offer information to you about the treatment. Moreover, I can't touch you. I can't visit. I can't palpate. I can't mobilize you. So I have lost a lot of contextual factors. I can always... Uh, I can only uh, manage the verbal and nonverbal communication. I can manage the uh, investigation of your point of view yeah. as a patient, the, your expectation, your perspective, your beliefs, your desire. 
However, I can manage contextual factors, but only in a limited way. So we have recently published this concept in a physical therapy journal, like in a point of view, about the uh, risk of uh, tele-rehabilitation in terms of uh, uh, lacking uh, contextual factor effects. It's something that I'm totally... I feel just how you described it was a, was a really excellent way because it's just how I feel. I feel that I'm missing an arm maybe, or yeah. I'm, I'm missing, I'm missing something. And, and you're, you're right. The, the patient's in front of me, they're on my screen. I can hear them. I can talk to them. And it's, it's not even about the, the, the manual therapy or the touch. It's just about that environment that one can create. It's quite like you said, I'm in my bedroom or my living room, you're in your kitchen and it is different. Yes, it's really different because there is always a medium between us. So there is the laptop that creates a source of distance. Mm. And uh, for a patient, uh, it could be difficult to open and to discuss about this musculoskeletal condition. Of course, uh, we have to think about the patient that presents a lot of yellow flags, psychosocial elements. It is more difficult to discuss about specific elements. Yeah anxiety uh, or depression or other things like that or for some they find it easier they find that they find that they're more able to disclose then they maybe they're more anxious when they're in a closed room perhaps for some it might be easier maybe Giacomo thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks a lot for your attention to all the listeners thanks Oliver for the opportunity you have offered me to share my researches thoughts and intuitions I would like to thank my research team that has contributed to the study of contextual factors during these last years and I hope that the presented podcast offers a starting point for reflection about the role of placebo nocebo effects and contextual factors surrounding the administration of the musculoskeletal treatment so thanks a lot again brilliant keep up the excellent work thanks if you enjoyed this podcast visit www.wordsmatter-education.com for all the show notes resources and blogs and check out the online course in language and communication in relation to back pain and i'll see you next time